in this section, what we're going to do is we're going to have uh, kind of a we're going to have a question and answer time to where you get to maybe ask some uh, some questions that might make it easier to take some of the principles that we've talked about and apply them. And so, any questions you all have, and basically anywhere it goes from there, we'll just kind of go. Uh, we got a roving mic. If you would wait until you get the microphone in order to talk to ask your question, because. It's really hard when you're listening to something on CD and you're only getting the answers. So if uh, if you can wait and ask your question on the mic, that would be that would be awesome. So if anybody wants to start, if not, we'll just start talking. And you don't want that. I have a question, um, and it's not an objection. I know this is the biblical model, which is of course like the ultimate, and and it's worth and trying to true. And maybe it's just a, a chick thing or, or not, it's been a leadership thing. But um, the, and this is coming from someone who, you know, if I see like a cute little baby animal, my first little thought isn't like, oh, how cute. I'm like, where's the rest of its family? You know, if it's if out in the pond or whatever. Um, and someone who, this is ridiculous, I can't believe I'm admitting this, but you know how you have your knife set at home and there's like all the cool knives on top and then the regular little steak knives on the bottom. I rotate my steak knives as I use them so that none of them will feel left out because they don't get used as much. So I can't believe you admitted that. We have a ministry for you. So, anyways, that's just to say that's, you know, that's, that's my heart and I, I'm listening to the to this developing leaders, and my thought is, my question is, if if as leaders you're really honed in on on the people that you're wanting to develop, like Jesus was, like you said, he spent the majority of his time with his twelve, um, and then those people that you're mentoring are then really honed in on who's replacing them. Like, what happens to all? Like, who's loving? and really paying attention to all the other little duckies that aren't leaders. Well, I think, and again, I think what, we, what the system we're talking about will deal with that much more effectively than when you have one guy. When you go to the, if you were, guys were to go to a doctor's office and you were to say, okay, you go in and you sit for three hours in the doctor's office, the nurses, a few nurses come around and visit, takes note, and then the doctor comes out and announces the prescription that he's going to give. I'm writing everybody a script for, prescri for, for penicillin today. You guys would never go to a doctor like that. You know, because one guy can't take care of it. And we're going to talk about this some tomorrow. But the ministry model that Jesus left us was one that cared for people who were hurting. It allowed for that to go on. It allowed for the equipping. Often what happens is we give people consolation and we give them comfort, but we don't help them overcome their problems. And, and sometimes, you know, the worst thing you can do is become almost a spiritually enabling church where you're patting people on the back and you're, you're feeding them and making them feel better when, when there's this core problem of sin and of, of struggles that are there. And I, I, if you would come to the crossings, and I think this would be fair, I could probably throw out some names of some guys that have been to the crossings on a broad spectrum of people, from Patrick Mead to Joe Beam, to Jerry Jones, and I could name others, and they would tell you that probably both whenever their time at Greater Alton and the Crossings, that we do more in helping hurting people than any church they've ever been to. If you were go, to go through our, our leadership, if I were to go through the people like Juan, and we start talking about Juan, Juan grew up in a foster home, and 
Juan shares this, and I know I'll, you don't mind. I, I, Juan has shared this. Juan grew up in a foster home and ran home every day from school afterwards because he didn't want people to know he was in a foster home. An incredibly broken situation. His wife, Summer, who is, is Summer here this weekend? No, she's not. She, she, she uh, is one of, our, one of our leaders also, incredible leaders. But her mom and dad were, were in prison for drug dealing whenever they, whenever they were younger. Both of them leading very strongly. If you were to come into our, to our leadership develop with, with even me, I'm the guy that nobody expected to succeed. I'm the guy, honestly, because of lots of baggage, was a rebellious kid. But nobody knew that a lot of that rebellion came from being sexually abused by my great-grandfather. And I went to church all of my life with a church that had preacher and elder, and they were a very effective committee that shook hands on Sundays. And, but there was no training, nor was there any life involvement. It was a, it was a, a model that, was in, that if you looked at structure was okay, but if you looked at the function, it, it missed it. So and if we were to just walk through this heap, I'd just be honest with you, if, if we were to go down through, I could start going around the table here with our people. And the thing is, if you were to come to our church, and again, the last Sunday that I preached at Greater Alton, the last series there, we were averaging a little over 500 at that time. And I had somebody go around for me and count the people that came from Restoration Roots. And I think on that Sunday morning that there were somewhere around 20 and 30 people that had Restoration Roots, Church of Christ or Christian Church, from that heritage. Everybody else was from the world. And so in most of society, one in four girls are sexually abused by the time they're 18 years old. Whenever I was at Greater Alton, that's 25%. At Greater Alton, 50% of our ladies had been sexually abused. One in seven men were sexually abused. At Greater Alton, a lot higher rate. One in ten people who take a drink become an alcoholic. Statistics of whatever it might be that becoming alcoholic. We had a, a lot more concentrated of all the weak people. Now, when I say that, you're thinking weak people. But these are people that, are, that, are, that God is transforming. They're leading. And they've been transformed rather than one guy trying to prescribe medicine to people he doesn't even know. Instead, multiplying. Jesus multiplied himself. And so that's the process to where really, they literally, you will get much more attention with the needs and, and, and the struggles. And Carrie, that's in the adult ministry. It's really clear, and it's true in the campus ministry. Well, I think, like, watching different campus ministries and the way they function over the, over, over the years, I've seen a lot of campus ministries to where the campus minister does all the stuff, and that's been the, the way we've done it. You know, a lot of times in churches, the preacher goes visit the people of preacher studies with all the guests who come in, you know, and so it's very limited to what they're able to do. And uh, it's the same thing with campus ministries. The campus minister sometimes does all these things, and... Uh, in our, in our ministry, one of the cool things is because of our development of leaders, they're able to take smaller groups of people and they're able to help develop you know, new leaders out of those small groups, but also ensure that the people who are in their group are really getting what they need. They're being fed much more effectively than one person getting up in front of a group of 100 college students and saying, okay, here's the lesson, now go home. It, it's not like that at all. They're, they're getting a lot more uh, intimate contact with people who are equipped to help them than what they would otherwise. So really, it, this problem takes care of that problem and alleviates it rather than, than making it a bigger deal. And, and I think one of the ways that shows up is just in conversion ratios and stuff. At Greater Alton, the last three years that we were there, we baptized over 100 people each one of those years. We're on a pace this year, I'm not sure, somewhere around the, at, the, at our new church to baptize, somewhere, I think we're around a pace of 60. But out of all those people that are going to be baptized, they're in the 100. I never said it with more than two or three of them. Just 
my daughter, I've told this story before, but my daughter who was, I don't know how, I remember when the first year we had 100 Baptists and she looked at the list of Baptists and she's probably about 15 years old. And she comes, she goes, Dad, it's kind of funny. You know, you're the preacher and I studied with more people that became Christians than you did. <laughs> and that, uh, which is, you know, you know so, so she's going, so I, you know, my elder is, is my inferior. And, and, uh, but, uh, but the truth is, that's because of that process. And if you just take that, that statistic alone, and it plays out, at, you know, I don't study with any more people than our small group leaders do, quite frankly. Our, our ladies are equipped to study with the ladies. Our men study with the men. And we use that because it's a training. And even when we're studying the Bible with somebody, I'll sit down in my studies. I'll say, listen, you know, Johnny, and I may not know Johnny real well. He came to somebody in my small group. And I'll say, you know, Johnny, we want to sit down and we just want to see where your relationship with God is because we believe God has some great things planned with you. And the reason... Fred's here. You know, Fred's known you for a long time, but a few months ago, Fred was sitting where you were, and Fred found a relationship with Jesus. And so we want to help teach you how to have a relationship with Jesus, but we're also, right now, we're teaching Fred how to teach people to have that relationship. So in the very beginning, we want our people to know that this doesn't stop at baptism. This, that's the birthing process, and we try to, to, to subtly, subliminally, however we have to do sledgehammerly, you know, to try to plant that in the heads of, our, of the people that we're studying with, that this is not, that, that this, that the body was to function as a body. That's, that's, and everybody has a very important role in that. And so we have special ministries to where if you come to the crossings, if you've been abused uh, as a guy, you're going to probably get to know me at some point better than you might if you weren't. If you're a girl that's been abused, you're going to get to know Janice. Janice has became a Christian, our ministry at Greater Alton, worked for Christian Family Services in St. Louis for a while, but her dad started sleeping with her when she was around three years old until she's a teenager. She knows a lot about abuse and helping people. Incredible things happen. And, and honestly, if we were just to walk through our, through our group here, you guys would go hold it. And, and for some of us, the outreach event you know, groups, you guys know you pull in the same kind of people. But we're not your typical church. We're atypical because of the number of people with scars and wounds. And so I would, I would say what the ministry model of Jesus was designed to reach the world, not simply raise up a leader. Good question, though, real good question. Uh, the question I have is for the, your all-service point about observation. And I know it's, and, and I know it's more than just a checklist, but what, what would be some of the things, the characteristics of people that you would be spending more time observing and carefully looking to see this is a future leader, what would be kind of like the flags that you'd say, okay, we need to watch this guy carefully, or, or girl? Um, I think there are a lot of different things. Obviously, you know, we're looking to, to make sure that they're being faithful and that they're obedient to what God has to say, uh, that, they're, that they're not living a hypocritical lifestyle, that they're someone who our people are going to be able to look at and want to be like, to desire to be like, because they're what they believe, their, their life and their doctrine match up, uh, you know, their honesty, their integrity, their, their desire, their ability to relate with people. They're, you know, there are some of those things that seem very religious and, and things like that, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, those make sense. Like, you want somebody who's faithful, you want somebody who's honest, but also just watching the way that they interact with other people. And they're, uh, one of the things that I found uh, in looking at our leaders is watching their moods and watching the way that they react to problems and the way they treat people who, you know, who do get on their nerves, that's a weakness of mine, you know, different things like that. But just watching all of these things uh, in their life to say, okay, is this someone who is really going to be able to step into the role of someone who's going to be able to help someone else? And then also, when you observe long enough, you'll, it's easier to pick the leaders because 
they're leading. Like it's you're not. They're already doing the job a lot of the times. If you're watching and you're observing long enough, you'll see that they're influencing people in a positive way. And so you can look and say, okay, that person's already doing the job because of the way that they live, and it's easier to kind of figure out who's going to be that person you want to put into place. I, I think for me, there, there's several things. And again, the check. It's hard to go through a checklist, but. You know, there, there are some, some qualifications that the Bible gives for, for elders and for, for deacons. And, and those are obviously, you know, we, we've sort of sometimes we compromise on those, but it, it gives me the indication that there are some things that you need to set back and look and see, okay, how, how are these people doing? It's okay to have a, a, a list to go, this is something, not because you're trying to eliminate, but because you're trying to protect the body. Uh, one of the things I, I would look for is humility. If you read in the book of Proverbs, uh, just read, you'll find out humility is essential to being able to be blessed by God and to be a person who grows in wisdom. If you're wanting a wise leader, then you're going to find a connection between wisdom and humility all through the book of Proverbs. Uh, another thing I think that, that I would, would look for is I would look for transparency. We all have problems. You know, you got issues, okay? Uh, I know that about you because I got issues. And the question is, are we open and honest? God can deal with any issue if we're transparent about it. And sometimes in religious circles, the very place that was supposed to have been the place where things were exposed and treated becomes a place where we hide and they fester. So one of the things we're looking for for the guys that I'm working with, are they being transparent with their struggles? If they're acting like everything's okay all the time and they have no struggles, I, I, it scares me because I know that's not true. There's a problem that's there. Uh, and so th those are, you know, reliability. Uh, you know, Paul, that's one of the things, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Paul tells him specifically, you know, tells Timothy and everybody else, gives us that model that we follow. You find reliable men are faithful, uh, New American Standard, I think, says, who will be able to teach others that faithfulness is not adept of belief in God, but it's somebody who is trustworthy. If you ask them to do something, are they going to do it? If they're not trustworthy in small things, the Bible indicates it's not safe to trust them with big things. And I think you're obviously not, also you're not, you're not putting in a place in eldership, but the quality of an elder are things that, you know, are very easy, quick things to look at in the Bible where there's a list that God says, this is what I want someone who's going to shepherd my church to look like. And if you're looking for a small group leader or a campus minister, you can look at those characteristics of someone who's going to shepherd the church and you can say, man, those are the kind of people I want leading my people, the people who, who share the, the characteristics that God says it takes to take care of his people. And so, you know, there's, I think there's just a lot of things that you could, you could probably talk about. We could talk all day about things to look for. Yeah, and with our small group leaders and with the small group leaders in the church, and we teach them that, listen, what, what your role is, your role is as, as a shepherd of that small group. And uh, as a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, the very word when the Bible says, see to the unit, and there's a challenge to where it's, a, it's for everybody. It's the word that's for, for a shepherd, an overseer. Not in the official office, but in whenever in, in the, all of us are supposed to have that care and concern. So we do a lot, a lot of our study among our leadership, you know, the group, group of guys, I meet with a group of guys at 6 o'clock every Friday morning, and we are going through, we're going to spend six months looking at the shepherding passages. They're not shepherds. Quite frankly, they don't, some, some of them just have kids right now. But we're not talking about position. We're talking about effectiveness. The qualifications for an elder were not put there so he could have a mark on his gun and have that position. They are put there because this is, what's making, this is what makes an effective leader. And so whether you're old and, and have, you know, 72 kids or whether you're young and have none, if you want to be a great leader, strive for those qualifications because they are what makes a, a, an effective leader. Um, I had a question for the board. Um, I 
<laughs> You're the old one. For the old one. She said ancient, I think. In terms of, well, my my goal, hopefully, in life is to be able to, you know, help people and, and lead them and things like that. But right now, training as an intern, I struggle with not bringing my baggage with me to the table like and I feel like if I didn't have all that baggage I could be more effective. But I can't go back and erase, you know. I would suggest that God would use that baggage and, and you don't have to worry now you have to unpack it and some of it you need to take some nice little pictures of and then throw away. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Because some of the baggage you don't want. But whenever Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, Timothy, here's a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Now, we know that verse, but most of us don't know what follows that verse where he says, and God did this, did this through me. He, I might be an, an example of his unlimited patience to all of those who might believe. Paul wasn't picked because he was so good. He's picked because he was so bad. And so one of the things that we've got to get real with about is these, these struggles that we have, you know, that, that are going on. And, and, guys, they're going on all across our nation. They're in our churches. Uh, I remember my mom, and she knew nothing about my abuse until probably five or six years ago and only knew about my abuse, who it was, in the last two years. But I remember her picking up a, a copy of a, a periodical that, that, is, that she would view as on the liberal side of the church. And they're talking about how prevalent abuse is within the church. And she literally tears my magazine in frustration as she reads the article. And says, I, that doesn't go on. They're just trying to ruin the name of the church. As she, she has no clue that her son and every male grandson has been abused by a member of the Church of Christ. It is there, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And there are people that are struggling with pornography, and, and, and sometimes they, we, people walk into our churches, and because of this image that we project, and Jesus didn't give a rip about image. You know, honestly, guys, all the stuff about how we dress about church, and this is a pet peeve of mine, we don't dress up at church because it was something that Jesus instituted. You can't find historically any emphasis that's there until 300 years afterwards to where all of a sudden the dignitaries from the Roman government started showing up in church, and that's when the dress code changed. It wasn't to impress God. It was to be able to make contacts with governmental officials historically. But we come in and we give this image that we're all okay, and so people walk in and go, I can never be like you guys. I'm, I'm just not cut out for this. I, we're not cut out for this. We're shaped into this. And so all of the baggage that you have, God will take that baggage, and he will use it to bring glory to him, and you'll help people that nobody else would be able to because of your baggage. So while it is true, it's a struggle. You know, I'm not, guys, to be... Being sexually abused by your great-grandfather creates all kinds of, of sexuality struggles. It creates all kinds of insecurities. And I would be a liar if I said all of those things disappear when, whenever you... But, but I'm telling you that, that even though there is struggle, God has turned the biggest tragedy in my life into the greatest triumph. Whenever I look out at my church, it is full of people who are hurting and messed up. And I'm telling you, I never meet anybody when they tell me a story. They go, well, you just don't know what I'm into. And they begin... I never meet anybody and go, God, God can't help you. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? 
I'm like, man, I wish I was blessed to have it as easy as you did. You know, honestly, and so there's that perspective that's there. So gets, you need, and some of that is if you have issues with things like abuse or if you have temper dysfunctional, and a lot of what we do at the crossings is, is that we help people deal with those issues because you can't help somebody until you've been helped. And you got to get help. And a lot of times, if you look, the, the most screwed up people in any college, you know, the weirdest people on any college campus are the ones that are in the counseling department. You know that, don't you? Psychology, those majors. Because they're going there trying to figure out to help. They're not going to find out how to others. Most of, a lot of them are going to try to find a help self, but they haven't admitted that yet. Honestly. So God will use that. And, and so don't misunderstand the ingredients in building a leader always involve a brokenness from the past. In every significant leader in Scripture, that's true, by the way. And I think, too, a bagless leader in a lot of ways is a useless leader because no one can identify with them. Uh, you know, like growing up in the church, I, got to, I didn't have some of the same baggage that my campus ministry had, but I have things about me, uh, things you know, that I struggle with and hurts that I have and all kinds of things that allow me to still be able to identify with them. And, I mean, Jesus came here because... We can identify with him. That's why he came here, and it helps us to be able to identify. And so he set that pace for us. So God, you know, he really does want you to use those things. And by the way, it happens to all of us. My cousin tried hanging himself in my grandmother's garage, by the way. My cousin just happened to be one who lived next door to my pedophile great-grandfather. I mean, every, my mom asked me the other night, why, why did you ever talk about that? I said, it's a different, mom, there's a lot of issues why I didn't talk about it with you, and we'll talk later. But, you know, my, my cousin was really close to my dad, but he never talked to him. I wonder why, and I thought, I bet he wondered, he thought, man, I'm weird, I'm demented, this is my fault, and, and Uncle Elwin wouldn't understand. And it would only be a year before my father passed away that I found out that while I was abused by my great-grandfather, he was abused by his grandfather, the same man and never talked about it. My wife's grandmother, who grew up in the Church of Christ in Arkansas, heard me speak and afterwards said, she's 80, how old? 85 years old? Has been a faithful member of the church all of her life and pulls me aside and starts crying and begins to bawl. I heard her talk about Poppy, but I never heard her Ted say that how he used her for sex. Guys, it's, we are sticking our stinking heads in the sand. That's right. And it's, it's beyond frustrating because it's out of the sand that we get to see. And truth frees. So your baggage, give that stuff to Jesus. Let him and get help. I'm not saying you can just talk to me, talk to you. We, we have some great resources that we can point you to. We're not the end all, but Jesus is. And there's some specific things, that if you'll do that. I think next year on the program, possibly, we may have Janice, who uh, she and I do some things together. We, do, we work with some of the abuse. But, but when you're abused, you deal with all kinds of issues. Also, you guys know that, but Janice for, may come down and do a, a, a track on how to help you help people in your campus who've been abused. I know these guys over here are doing a recovery ministry. I spent a lot of time for 10 years. I spent probably 20 hours a week with addicts for 10 years. And uh, it's an incredibly rewarding and frustrating ministry. But I'm telling you, it opens doors for you that you would never have open when you, when you start in, in humility. Just let people know, we're not, you have a struggle that's different than mine, but we're, we're fellow strugglers.
You know, I had a guy one time at AA, he gave me a hard time at the end where he found out I was a reverend. That's his word, okay. He goes, reverend, I'm really sorry. Obviously didn't know you. Yeah, he goes, reverend, I'm really sorry. I thought you was just another drunk like the rest of us. And I said, well, I am just like the rest of you. I'm not a drunk. I'm not a reverend. I'm just somebody who's trying to be what Jesus wants me to be, and I'm a lot like you. Doors fly open when we can acknowledge that. One more question? No more question. No question for you. <laughs> Zung is offended. <laughs> she is German, so. Well, I want you. All right. Then uh, we're going to pray, and then we'll be wrapped up until tomorrow. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, I just want to thank you for letting us uh, be here at uh, Campus Ministry United this weekend, God, to talk about uh, campus ministry and, uh, God, how we can be more effective at changing the lives of the college students that we uh, come into contact with and just in, in general, God, how we can change the lives of the world by uh, doing what you say, God, and loving you and loving people. And I pray that you'll help us to be people who realize the importance of that and also realize the importance of raising up leaders uh, who are able to go out and to find more people and to multiply in the way that you designed us to so that we can have a greater impact. And I pray that you help us to apply the principles in your word and uh, in the life that you live, God, so that we're able to do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand.